This gospel passage is, is um, <laughs> it's haunting. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how a person could, could sit and, and, unless you're poor yourself, right? So if a, if a person is poor, uh, then, then maybe there's a lot of comfort in this, actually. If, if you're feeling poor and neglected and, and alone, um, you know, like if you're like Lazarus, sitting at someone's doorstep, watching them eat sumptuously and, and longing just to, to get their garbage, you know, so that you can feel, then you might feel comforted. But I, I, I think for the rest of us, I, I think we should feel very uncomfortable. And this, this is the Lord's intention, I think, is, is to make us, right? And I, I talk about this all the time, and I'm just going to keep saying it. The Lord flips everything upside down. You know, we, we, we tend to associate um, the comforts that we have in our lives, we call them blessings. And in, in a real way, they are blessings. But, but what's the purpose of a blessing? Why does God bless somebody? This is maybe something that we don't think about. You know, because, because in, our, in, our, in our day and age, uh, and I know this very well as a millennial, right? We just, we think about ourselves. You know, we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't say like, why do I have this? We just say, oh, I have this. Or if I don't have it, I ask, why don't I have it? But once I then get it, the, the blessing, the, the, the comfort, the, the whatever it is that I have, the, the thing, I don't ever ask, why did God give this to me? Right? I never, I never get to the point of looking outward, but I just get to, I'm, I'm just always looking inward. And this, this, this is something that is not just millennials, but in fact, it's, it's a big American problem and maybe a big human problem, in fact, that, that we're just so prone to turn in on ourselves. And if we have comforts, then we're just prone to sit in them. When in fact, I think what the Lord wants us to ask is this question, why, why do we have it? And it seems like there's th this rich man that Jesus is talking about was stuck in the same thing. It's not that he didn't notice Lazarus. In fact, he knew his name, right? You notice this. After he dies, he calls to Abraham. He doesn't say, hey, send that, that poor man. Send, send, no, he says, send Lazarus. In other words, this rich man knew the man's name that was sitting at his doorstep every day. And he did nothing about it. Like the Lord wants us. And, and I, know, I, know that, um, I know that when I preach, I, I, I'm very challenging. And I'm challenging for myself too. And so I know that it can sometimes be difficult to receive challenges over and over and over again. I know that. And, and surely there's a way that, that I, can, I can work on that in my delivery, you know, to be less challenging. And yet at the same time, at the same time, if we don't let ourselves be challenged, then we are going to become. It's not, it's not that it's possible that we could become. We are going to become like this rich man. Because we'll just become satisfied with ourselves. The first reading, the very first line, right? Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts. What does he say? Woe to the complacent in Zion. Woe. It's like you are cursed. You complacent. What does it mean to be complacent? It means showing smug or uncritical satisfaction with oneself or one's achievements. 
Now, many of us would say, well, I'm not smug. But I think many of us might, if we're honest, and this is me too, everything is me too. If we're honest, we would say oftentimes we're really uncritical of our spiritual lives. We're really uncritical of, am I loving God with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, and all of my strength? And am I loving my neighbor as myself? We're uncritical. We tend to be uncritical of ourselves. And if that's the case, that means we fit into this definition of what it means to be complacent. And if we fit into that definition, what does the Lord say to us? Woe to you. Can you receive that this morning? And, and it's, not in a, it's not meant to be something that causes you shame. And it's not meant to be something that causes you to say, well, I guess I'm going to hell, so what's the point? But instead, the Lord's warnings are always meant to lead us to repentance this is, this is the beautiful news of the gospel. That as long as you're breathing, as long as I'm breathing, if I'm convicted of something by God's word, I have the ability by God's grace to repent, to change. None of us, none of us are doomed to stay in a place apart from God. But instead, as long as we are living we have the ability to change. It's only after death that we find ourselves, if we're apart from God, it's only after death that we find ourselves in this place where there's such a great chasm, as Abraham says, a great chasm between us and you. Right? Once we die, there's, there's no more change. But before we die, we can always change. We can always repent. We can always allow God's word to shake us out of our complacency, which is uncomfortable, I understand. It's as uncomfortable for me as it is for any of us. We, we all live in this day and age where we just are saturated and surrounded by comforts all the time. And yet at the same time, I was, I was thinking about this just as I was reading this. Abraham, excuse me, Lazarus and this rich man, um, they, they live on earth for however long, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, right? Hopefully for some of us, we're like, no, keep going, Father, more and more and more, right? But they live for however long. And then what happens, right? We talk, I've, I've talked about this a lot too. Then they enter into eternity, which is how long? 60, 70, 80, 90, million years and more. Obviously, one is far greater. Lazarus, Abraham says, received what was bad, during his lifetime, and now he is comforted. That is to say that Lazarus, for his 60, 70, 80, 90 years, experienced discomfort. But now, he says, the eternal now of heaven, the eternal, like the, the 60, 70, 80, 90 million years and more, he's comforted. And so I was just thinking about this. You know, the, the rich man was the opposite. He spent his short bit of time on this life receiving what was good and, and being comforted here and now, whereas in the eternal now, the 60, then he received what was bad. He's suffering in this, this torment, this, this burning fire. 
I'm suffering torment in these flames. Right? It's just like if we had a choice, which would we choose? Obviously, you'd choose the one that's way longer where you'd want to receive your reward, your comforts, your, your, your pleasure. Obviously. And yet, I can think of so many times in my life when I choose to receive what is good now and I ignore the suffering of those who are suffering now. It's, it's, this is why it's haunting and it's, it's meant to be unsettling to us. And there's, there's, there's tension here and I, I'm, I'm tempted to not, I'm tempted to let the tension sit. Uh, but I think at the same time, I think clarification is, is a good thing. Jesus is not saying that comfort is a bad thing. He's not saying that. And so, so the fact that, you know, sometimes we can feel guilty uh, that, that we have all of this and the poor people don't have any. And so we can feel guilty and it's like, well, simply because I'm feeling comfortable, that means I'm destined to a life of punishment. But again, I think we can get back to this question of why do I have my blessings? I have my blessings so that I may share them with those who do not. Right? I don't have them so that this is a sign to me that I'm going to be punished for all of eternity. No, I have them because God wants to work through me. You have your blessings because God wants to work through you to reach other people, to reach people who don't have those blessings. And those blessings could be material, physical blessings. You have excess money so that God can use you to reach those who don't even have enough money. You have excess material stuff so that God can use you to reach those who don't even have enough stuff. But then it's also in a spiritual way as well. You have faith in God so that God can use you to reach those who do not have faith. Somehow, he wants to use you by your words, by your example, by your reaching out and bringing people in. He wants to use you for that purpose. Because we can ask this question, why, you know, like, and this is, this is common a lot for, for parents who have, uh, who, uh, who have kids that have left the faith. You know, and, and some, some, some of the kids maybe are faithful and some are not. And we can ask the question, like, why, why did it work with this kid and it didn't work with this one? Or if you're one of those siblings, like, why do I have faith and my, my other siblings don't? Maybe it's because God wants to find a way to use you to bring them back in. Why do I have faith and my coworkers seem like they don't? Maybe it's because God wants to use you to bring those people into his family. You see this, like every blessing that we receive, whether it's physical, spiritual, mental, whatever it may be, every blessing we receive is meant to be for us to say, how can I use this to benefit someone who doesn't have it? It's difficult because this is so countercultural, right? It's so different than how we are accustomed to living. We live in a world where it's just so tempting to just sort of circle the wagons or to turn in on ourselves and just be comfortable with where we're at. When in fact, the Lord wants us to turn out of ourselves and even sometimes be uncomfortable 
for the sake of the mission that he has for the world, which is to save all people. We heard this last week. God who wills all people to be saved. How is he going to save all people if not all people are responding to him? He's going to do it through you and through me. This is, and so, so sometimes we need to be challenged. Maybe a lot of times we need to be challenged so that we don't give in to the temptation to, to turn in on ourselves. And this is, this is the fascinating thing about this, this second reading that we have. So if, if you notice, the very first line from, from Paul uh, in this first letter to Timothy, he says, but you, man of God. And I was thinking about how this is such a strange place to begin a reading, right? If you think about this, right? You're, you're talking about someone that, and then you say, but you, right? And it's, sort of, it's meant to, I think, make us wonder like, yeah, but what was he talking about? Like, why was there a but in there? And so, so we, can, we can look at this, actually. When you go home today, if you want to pick up your Bible and blow the dust off of it, open up to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and you can read. In fact, I, I actually encourage you to read the whole 1 first, first Timothy. It's one of my favorite letters of, of, of St. Paul. Uh, but he's talking about how he's giving Timothy the charge to teach and urge these things, right? Teach and urge. Uh, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching which accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit. He knows nothing. He has a morbid craving for controversy and for disputes about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, base suspicions, and wrangling among men who are depraved in mind and bereft of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. In other words, he's talking about there are some out there who are teaching just so that they can gain for themselves, so they, they, can, they can gain reputation or they can gain uh, profits. They, they can get whatever they want out of it. That's what, what he's talking about with Timothy. So he's saying, look, there are all these teachers out here who are doing this thing. This is the common practice of what's going on. Right? And then he says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and hurtful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced their hearts with many pangs. Right? So this is what he says. And then he says, but you, man of God, pursue righteousness devotion, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. In other words, he, he's, Paul sees exactly uh, what, what anyone who's sincere in their desire to follow Jesus will see, and that is that the ways of the world, they can so easily infiltrate the church. They can so easily infiltrate the Christian community that, that for some reason, the Christian community is just as prone as anyone else to get caught in the stream of, of the culture. And the culture, so many times, leads away from Jesus rather than toward him. And so Paul recognizes this. So he's telling Timothy, look, there are all these people who are doing this, but you don't be like them. You pursue righteousness instead of greedy gain. You pursue devotion and faith rather than just pretending to be devoted and to be faithful. Pursue patience and gentleness. What does he say? Compete well for the faith. Lay hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made the noble profession in the presence of many witnesses. That's just like, lay hold of eternal life. You know, what does that mean? It means like you're clinging to it. I was, I was thinking of um, 
it's, it's maybe not even a great analogy, but, but this, this show, uh, the ultimate, ultimate or American Ninja Warrior or something like that, they're going through this obstacle course, and at one point they have to like hang on to this big, great thing that's just swinging back and forth, and if, if they let go of it, uh, then they fall into the water and they lose. You know, and like what happens? Like they're clinging to it as tightly as they possibly can. You know, I wonder like, what would that look like if, if for you and for me, we, we saw the way of the world and we saw that the world is trying to lead us away from heaven, to lead us away from Jesus and toward just worldly, low and earthly comforts. If we saw that and so we said, I'm going to lay hold of eternal life. And so, so we, we did things like we just cling to our Bibles, you know, we cling to the sacraments that, that like there's just this, this thought in my mind that it just says, I'm not, I'm, this week, I'm not going to let anything take my mind off of Jesus. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay hold of that. I'm just going to, with everything with everything I have, I'm going to compete well for the faith so that this week, this week, nothing is going to lead me astray. And then I can come to Mass and, 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 and on, you know, the next Sunday, I can, I can be filled up with the Eucharist. Or I might even come during the week so that I can be filled up with the Eucharist, so that I can be filled up with the Word of God because I want to compete well for the faith. I want to lay hold of eternal life. I want to I wanna keep the commandments of God without stain or reproach. Why? So that I don't become complacent, so that I don't become like the rich man, but instead so that I let my eyes be opened to see the Lazaruses among me in my community, in, in the world, whatever it may be. I want to, this is, this is my one desire, right? I don't want to let go because I don't want to, I don't want to fall down to the pits of hell, to the flames of eternal hell, but instead I want to lay hold of eternal life so that, so that when that bell rings, right, when my time comes, I, I can be, can be declared the winner, the victor, right? I've competed well, and so I can, I can rejoice with all of the saints as I cross the finish line into the threshold of eternal life. Like, what if that was our mentality? So many times for me, it's not. And I know so many times for you, it's not. But brothers and sisters, recognize you have the breath of life right now. I have the breath of life right now. And so we can, we're allowed to do this. We can shift our mentality and we can say, no more, no more. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find ways to resist the world. I'm going to find ways to share the blessings that God has given to me so that other people can come to know his blessings and so that ultimately, ultimately, I can begin to see with the eyes of Jesus. And what a beautiful gift that will be.